0: Well, we are just a few weeks into a new sermon series on the parables of Jesus, where we're gonna dig into one today that addresses something that every human being at some point in their life is gonna struggle with to some degree or another. If it hasn't happened to you yet, just wait, it will. Because of the world we live into. The parable talks about the very thing that we wrestle with so often. Almost 30 years ago now, Don Henley, the former drummer for the group, The Eagles, before they broke up, had one of his biggest hits ever when he wrestled with this very subject in his song. Back in 1989, he said, "'These times are so uncertain. "'There's a yearning undefined. "'People filled with rage. "'How can love survive in such a graceless age?'' I don't see things have gotten any better in 30 years. Despite the technological advancements in the past 30 years since 1989, do you sense more grace today? Do you sense less rage today? I sense more rage. Everybody's angry. Everybody's much more hostile. Everything's more volatile. No one's listening. They're just hurling words back and forth. Rage. And we live in a graceless age still. And everybody's wrestling with and trying to figure out what's at the heart of all this trouble and these problems between each other. He wrestled with it. Same thing he wrestled with as he goes on in his song and says, the more I know, the less I understand. All the things I thought I figured out, I have to learn again. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter. But everything changes and my friends seem to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness he thinks it's about forgiveness let's see if he's right was don henley on the right track turn with me to matthew chapter 18 let's see what it's about let's see what jesus says it's about matthew chapter 18 i'll begin reading in verse 21 matthew 18 beginning in verse 21 now remember I said, parables are not sweet little bedtime comforting stories. Jesus told a parable whenever he wanted to drive home a point that he realized we don't get it. We're way off base. We really don't understand something. They were designed to shock and shake you out of your conventional thinking of what you would think is right to think like God thinks. So here we go. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So right there it indicates, is our struggle with being sinned against and and, and needing to forgive, is this a new struggle? There is Peter, and of everything he could have asked Jesus, this is what he brings him. So obviously Peter is struggling with one of the disciples or his father or his grandfather or someone in the marketplace. We don't know. But Peter was struggling. In fact, he was struggling not with just forgiveness, but it's apparent, this person keeps sinning against me. How often should I forgive, right? And Peter thinks he's really serving it up big, up to seven times, expecting Jesus to say, way to go. Most people go five. You're way ahead of the game, Peter. How often? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which he did not mean make a tick mark and go 490. And when you hit 491, we are so done. I have extended forgiveness to you and now you've reached your limit. It was hyperbole for you just don't stop forgiving. There is no cutoff. There is no limit. Not seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, and so here he says, it's parable time. I know that just, he must've seen the look on Peter's face, eyes wide, like what? And so Jesus knew parable time. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me help you appreciate this. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, and I hope you don't, you got something to write with, write in the margin right there. You wanna know how much that is? One talent was, was, a, was a, a currency in that day. One talent was the equivalent of 20 years wages. Most person, people would never see a talent. He said 10,000 talents. So I did that. I crunched the numbers into dollars today. So write in your Bible, $9.6 That's with a B, dollars. This servant owed his master 9.6, say it, billion billion dollars. Remember, it's a parable. So Jesus wants you to feel, the what? (laughs) Brought him one who owed 10,000 talents. The next word in verse 25. But as he was not able to pay... How about that? His master commanded him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and and payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant saw something good in this debtor. Is that what it says? Louder. No. No. Not based on anything. Oh, the master remembered this is actually a pretty decent guy. He's a good guy. Not based on anything in this servant. Then the master of that servant was simply moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Say wow. Wow. Now, one of the saddest words ever Begins verse 28. It shouldn't be there. The next word ought to be, and the servant went out leaping and saying, who can I forgive? Your chariot go first. No, no, no. Please go. Go. Anybody that owes me anything, never mind. One of the most cheerful, grateful, giving, generous. Doesn't say that. Verse 28. But. But. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's put it in perspective here. A denarius was one day's wage. So a hundred denarii is a hundred days wage. If an average salary is, say, $50,000, then it's three months wages. That's about $12,000. Jesus on purpose doesn't say a servant owed him ten bucks. It's enough That it would hurt, right? Uh, That's a lot. That's a lot. Owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would say it. Say it again. He would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called that servant back, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. How much, in modern terms, say it? Nine, you should have written it down. This is a pop quiz now. I mean, do what I say. $9.6 billion. I forgave you all that debt. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as I had mercy on you. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely you should have. And the reason we know there's not two options, maybe, maybe not, is what he says next. Verse 34 And his master was angry. That's God's emotion and posture towards those of you that don't forgive. The master was angry. And delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from the heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, do you feel it? You should. This is heavy. This is right at the heart of something we struggle with a lot because we get hurt We get sinned against in a fallen, broken world. So this parable is radical and sobering and is a warning to those of you that have been living life thinking, oh, forgiveness is optional. I'll think about it. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. That's always an option. It's not optional for Christians. Paul Tripp writes this. One of the most significant problems in our marriage relationships And I would expand that out to any relationship, roommate, best friend, church relationships, coworkers, next door neighbors, parent, children. One of the most significant problems in our relationships is that there's no economy of grace. With all our obvious difficulties, what is most shocking is the profound gracelessness of our marriages, And I would go on to say of our friendships, of our church relationships with each other. The profound gracelessness. We sing about grace. We wear grace logo wear, but we extend it to nobody. Gracelessness. There's no willingness to look within and confess deep-seated sins so we never find sweet forgiveness. There's no vertical hope to carry us in dark and discouraging times. There's no rest that comes from entrusting each other to the God of grace. There's no faith that God will give us all we need to respond to each other in godly ways. As a result, the relationship is reduced to human demands, human performance, human failure, human judgment. And human punishment. There is no hope or power for change, and because we are not daily soaking in the fountain of God's grace, we do not extend it to one another. Folks, I would say it to you this way I would be so bold as to say what we're talking about is at the very heart and center of keeping any relationship intact and alive. Whenever forgiveness becomes optional, some of you keep it as an option. It was never meant to be an option. Whenever forgiveness becomes optional, relationships become fragile, unsustainable, and sadly, even disposable. We live in a day that's so graceless. People are just throwing away marriages, throwing away friendships, throwing away church relationships, moving from church to church, just can't find that church that gets it right. Hello? Every church is filled with sinners. Every marriage is comprised of two sinners. Every friendship is two sinners. Every work situation is comprised of sinners. Whenever, you will have to forgive. When you run into couples and some of them are in our church that have been married decades, 30, 40, 50, 60 decades, please don't walk away thinking, man, they must have had an assessment test that was better than the one we took with personalities that were such a perfect match. We just screwed up. We should have talked a little more, done some of those tests or met with somebody because we're having a hard time. Don't do that. They're married decades because they have learned to, say it, Forgive. forgive. You won't live with us, another sinner for decades and not get hurt. Forgiveness is at the very heart. Friendships that have lasted decades, working in the same place for decades, staying in the same church. Some of you have been in this church for as long as I have, 20 years. They're not here because we get it so right, and they've never disagreed, and they've never been hurt. They forgave. Me and elders and others and people in their small group, they forgave. That's the only reason they're still here instead of at another church. But there's still a question, a couple questions have to be asked. Okay, if forgiveness is so critical to relationships, what does it mean to forgive someone? And on what basis? Why should I? Help me, Brad. Why should I? And what if they've hurt me and they keep hurting me and I have no guarantee it won't happen again in the future? So why forgive? Let me give you my message in a sentence, the crux of it. And then I'll back up and try to give you the biblical legs that it all stands on. Here it is in a sentence, a long one. Biblical forgiveness is not all about you trying to forget what that other person did to you. Instead, it's your choice to remember what God has done for you in Christ on the cross. And to act on that by extending that same grace and forgiveness out to that other person. Not based on anything you feel. And not based on them deserving it. And not based on the memory and the hurt of it has faded. But based on... God, just as God has forgiven me a $9.6 billion debt, how could I not forgive my fellow human being? That's it. So let me give you three steps that I hope could get some of you unstuck. If your marriage or any other earthly relationship is stuck and is dying, because this is what it'll do. Listen to me. You can read books to try to perk up your marriage. You can start a hobby together. You can read another sex technique book. You can take a vacation in Europe. You can decide to have another baby. You can add a wing on the house. None of that will solve it. If you are bitter and unforgiving, that relationship is dying. If you're here and you're stuck in your marriage or any other relationship and it's dying a slow death at the hands of unforgiveness and bitterness, I want to give you three steps from this passage that I hope... Good, get you unstuck and willing to forgive. Number one, number one, if you want to forgive anybody, you got to start by looking past that other person that hurt you and back to God. One of the biggest problems that some of you are having is you keep looking at the person that hurt you and you keep looking at the depth of the hurt and you keep combing over the depth of the hurt and you keep looking at the circumstances and implications and consequences of what has happened to you because of what they did and don't hear me making light of it. But do hear me saying, I'm trying to help you here. You're not looking far enough. Look past the other person. You keep waiting. Do they seem sorry? Do they seem to understand really what they've done? They may never be sorry and they may never understand what they've done. You got to look past that other person that hurt you and back to, say it, God. If you're ever going to forgive someone, because when we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about God's stuff. This started with God. A human committee would never have thought of this. Our government could never have come up with this. This is so contrary to our nature. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Why would I forgive? Why do I forgive, but they hurt me? Why? We would not have thought of this. It's just one of the many things in the Bible that's like upside down from what we would do. It's not natural, it's supernatural. It starts with God. But I want you to see the hinge that forgiveness turns on, that gets you moving from unforgiveness and bitterness, moving through the door of forgiveness. There's a hinge, this whole thing. Some of you are just standing there stuck. You don't, the hinge is in verse 33, look at it. It's the hinge that forgiveness swings on. Verse 33, you ought to mark this last phrase in verse 33. Do you see it? Just as I had mercy on you. Just as I, just as I, why should I forgive them? Just as I had mercy on you, that's why. But they don't seem sorry. Did you seem sorry when God forgave you? Did he forgive you because you were already cleaning your act up? Now, some of you think of that and you need to banish that thought. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You never would have chosen God. You never would have come to God. The fact that you began to think, oh, I'm attracted to Jesus. Oh, this gospel message is attracted. Oh, I am a sinner. Oh, he died for me. That was the work of God in you. While we were yet, what? Christ died for us. God started and it wasn't because he saw us doing anything right. Just as I had mercy on you while you were dead in your trespasses and sins and didn't deserve it and was an enemy, have mercy on you. And this hinge in verse 33, this is not isolated. This is not the only place in the Bible you see this. This is the theme that you see running with forgiveness through the Bible. Look at Ephesians 4. Let me show you another place. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And look at me. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, begins an exhortation that's heading into forgiveness with that phrase. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's about to tell you what you need to do. And if you don't do it, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So listen, those of you that treat forgiveness as optional... Every day that you choose not to forgive, it doesn't matter if you're a fantastic Bible teacher, it doesn't matter what you're doing right, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's grieved. He's grieved. He's grieved. Oh, but I gave away some money. He's grieved. Oh, but I opened a door for someone. He's grieved. Oh, but because... What you're doing is at the very heart and center of the gospel and what he did for you. And and when you don't extend it to others, it grieves him. This is what God's about. God is about forgiveness. God is about mercy. And he did it for you, not just a little, but a $9.6 billion debt. I think it would help us if we could go around every day. You know, you think of a bar chart and you sketch this out, $12,000 And $9.6 billion. If you run that on a little chart, you'll see that the 12,000 won't show up. It won't show up at all. And you made an orange bar and you just had this orange bar behind your head all day long, at work, in the home, in the gym. You just thought, what's what's that orange glow? Oh, oh yeah. I've been forgiven $9.6 billion. Oh, that hurt. I wish they hadn't done that. Oh, but there's the orange glow. $9.6 billion. They did it again, nine point. I'm still glowing orange though. All that I've been forgiven. All that I've been forgiven. You see the same thing in Colossians 3.13. We don't have time to go there, but mark that down. Same thing. If you have a complaint against anyone, forgive even as God in Christ is for you. This whole thing swings on what God did for you, you must do for others. The only way you could justify, I don't forgive, is if you wanna say, God hadn't forgiven me. And then, you're an unbeliever. And see, that's the very answer I would give you to some of you that would be saying, but if this is so essential, and it's so much at the heart of the gospel and Christianity, why are there so many Christians that struggle so much with forgiveness? Let me give you an answer that might rattle some of you but help you. There are a whole lot of people running around claiming to be a Christian that aren't. They're just not. Oh, they're hateful. Bitter, carry grudges, retaliatory. They're so graceless. Oh, but I threw a stick in the fire at youth camp. I don't care. Oh, but I was baptized. So you're wet and had to dry off. Oh, but I walked the aisle. Okay, so you got some exercise. Oh, I shook a hand. Oh, I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus into my heart. None of that matters. The indication of new birth and new life is supernatural power. You start living like Jesus and not like the world. The world doesn't care about our bumper stickers and our fish logos and our fall festivals and toss the beanbag in Jonah's whale's mouth. They they don't care about our Easter musicals and Christmas musicals. When we're just as bitter and angry and caustic and unforgiving as everybody else, they say, why do I need what you got? You want to stand out? Forgiveness is what should characterize believers because we have been forgiven. Just as God had mercy on you. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Let me give you a second possibility. A, there's a whole bunch of people that are just not Christians and every day that they stay in unforgiveness, they prove it. I would even be so bold as to say this: If you're living with unforgiveness, all the while you live with unforgiveness, you should have no assurance of salvation. Because it's so contradictory, it's like an oxymoron. Unforgiving Christian? What? Yeah. You you say, Brad? Is this just you making? No. You want another unsettling passage? This is not the only place that talks this way. Write down Matthew six fourteen and fifteen. And go look there in the Sermon on the Mount when he taught them how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Remember some of that? But you remember he said, Father, forgive us our trespasses because every now and again, we will actually forgive someone if it didn't hurt too bad. No, no. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And of everything in the Lord's prayer, Jesus knew the part that we would struggle with the most that needed some additional commentary was that forgiveness thing. And so in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6, he says straight up, for if you forgive others their trespasses, so will my heavenly father forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, my heavenly father will not forgive you yours. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's like, don't get mad at me. It's Jesus talking. Jesus talking in Matthew 6. Jesus talking right here in Matthew 18. This is at the heart and center of Christianity. So if you want to forgive somebody, you got to get your eyes off the one that hurt you, off the level of your hurt, off your circumstances, past them and back to God and all that he's forgiven you. And and even as I say all, part of the problem is we don't see ourselves as big sinners. He didn't have to forgive me that much. He did good to get me on his team. There's really bad people out there, but I'm not one of them. Jesus could have just suffered a flesh wound and I could have gotten in. He didn't have to really die. and be, Folks, uh uh-uh. Here's what's going on. If you aren't gripped by the depth an extent of your own sin against God and what he did to forgive you? If you only see yourself as a level two sinner on a scale of one to 10, I know I'm a sinner, level two. There's some eight, nine, and teners out there and I'm so glad I'm not like them. God help them. If you only see yourself as a level two sinner, guess what happens? You only taste and experience level two grace. And you'll never have the grace you need to forgive level 7, 8, 9, 10 sins against you by others. Is this making sense? The more I'm aware of being a sinner that was forgiven, the more grace I taste, the more grace I taste, the more I have to extend to others. Back it up. And some of you, your biggest problem as to why you don't forgive is you've never seen yourself as a big sinner that's been forgiven. Step number two. How are you going to forgive somebody else? Number two, stop expecting payment. They owe me. They're in my debt. They owe me. Stop expecting payment and choose to absorb the cost of their sin. You say, What? Folks, again, it's just like what God did for us. Did it cost God to forgive you? That was weak. Horrible cost. His own precious son. It's going to cost you to forgive somebody else. It does hurt. You already have the initial hurt and whatever went down and now in some way you lose the pleasure of having them in your debt and they're in the doghouse for life. I have this over them. As much as bitterness can eat you up, there's a sweetness to having the high ground. Am I making sense? And it's like now I have the loss I incurred by what they did to me and I feel a loss. It's almost like a death of this right that I had to kind of stay mildly mad at them and they owe me and they're in my debt. I lose that. There's a cost. It's going to hurt. And notice he set up the parable that way. He he wanted you to know it's going to cost. That's why he did 9.6 billion and 12,000. It's like, ooh, 12,000. If you owe me 12,000, I'm not at a point in my life that I'd say, "Hey, what's $12,000 between friends?" Hey, Let's work out a payment plan. That's what $12,000 is. Can you give plasma? Can you sell something? Can you give away your firstborn child? Put them up for adoption? How are we going to work this out? I need that back, $12,000. It costs. It costs. There's a cost to forgiveness, but there was a cost. But see, understand this. He's asking you to release that other sinner. Release them from your debt. Cancel the account. As canceled. But here's what he did for us. He's not asking you to do this. He did that for us. And then he went on. And we were enemies. He canceled the debt. Released us from our obligation. Had mercy on us. And we had been sinners. Who reviled him. Enemies. And he brought us into his family. And adopted us as sons and daughters. And made us Co-heirs with the inheritance of Christ. Everything that is Jesus Christ, his son, is yours. Somebody say wow. wow. Louder. Wow. Isn't mind-blowing? We were enemies and now we're adopted sons. He's not saying take that person and forgive them and bring them into your family and write them into the will. But he is saying you release them. Cancel the debt. It'll cost you. But that's what I did for you. And then I went on. Whatever it costs you to forgive them, it will never, ever, ever measure up to what it cost God to forgive you. Ever. Cost Him His perfect son. So stop expecting payment and choose to absorb the cost of their sin, knowing it will cost. You say, well, how am I gonna do that? Well, listen, part of it is there are a whole lot of people saying they're Christian, attending church, whatever, and they're just not born again. So this, this is just, why would I forgive? But let me tell you another problem, why people struggle. You're not feasting on the cross of Christ. We've got Christians who snack on the cross, feast on the world, and then struggle to forgive and wonder why. You've lost sight of the cross. You need to meditate on what God did for you. You need to feast on what God did for you. You need to never get over what God did for you. I'll never forget one time when I was counseling and I was trying to encourage someone to get unstuck and move forward towards forgiveness. And this was not session one. So I don't want you to think I'm harsh and abrupt and just, we were way into this. And so I began to explain the cross again. And Christ's death and the beating and what God gave up to forgive us. And I'm asking, and this person crossed their arms and leaned back in their chair and said, honestly, Pastor Brad, that does absolutely nothing for me. (laughs) Folks, the day that you're thinking about what God did for you and his son by his death does nothing for you is a really bad day. It's a horrible day. And you will struggle to forgive other people because you've lost sight of what God has done for you and the price that was paid for you. Let me, let me tell you one of the things you can do. A few years ago, Milton Vincent was a guest speaker here in our fall conference. He did four messages on forgiveness. What I'm about to tell you is how you say, okay, that's, that's really cool, Brad. Feast on the cross. I don't know what that means. Well, one thing it means, read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Isaiah 53. This shows us Christ on the cross. But let me tell you something else. Listen to the four messages that Milton Vincent did. I ask our team to put them prominently on our website. Easy to find. Hopefully they did. And you get a link and it's free. Those four messages on forgiveness, I have listened to in completion, all four, four times. It's the best stuff on forgiveness I've ever heard. Because he does a 360, what he calls a 360 around the cross. Exactly what you need to do to feast on the cross and remember what God has done for you as you say, I'm supposed to forgive this person. You want to feast on the cross? Listen to those messages. But let me address something else that often comes up. When you talk about forgiveness, many times someone will say, I think I forgave. I really do. But now I'm angry again. I'm stirred up again. I've got feelings again. I'm upset again. Maybe I didn't really forgive. Maybe you didn't. Maybe it wasn't genuine. Maybe it was just words. But that's not the only answer. Let me propose something else that often is the case that I hope will help some of you. There are a lot of sins that are multifaceted in their implications and consequences. And so... Like a disco ball, think about a disco ball that hangs there from the ceiling, and there's all these facets all over the ball, all these different facets that the light hits in it. There are sins that are like that, and when it comes out and you choose to forgive, you just don't even know all the facets of this that are yet to begin to be played out in your life. Does that make sense? For instance, adultery, in my mind, is one of the ultimate multifaceted sins with implications and consequences. And I've had, unfortunately, the the opportunity to walk through that a number of times with people. And when someone sits there and chooses to forgive right in that moment that their spouse is saying what they've done, they don't know everything. I'm not talking about on purpose we're keeping a secret. They've really told it. But do they really understand the implications? Do they realize yet how this is going to impact their children? And maybe they didn't know, oh, she's going to lose her job because of this also. And now we're struggling financially. Does that make sense? All these things start happening and they're mad all over again. They say, maybe I didn't forgive. Let me help you. You'll just need to forgive each new facet as it comes out. And it may be that way. When Jesus looked at Peter and said, I don't say up to seven. I say 70 times seven. He didn't just mean you may need to forgive this person for 490 different sins. He also meant you may need to forgive 490 facets of one sin as it comes out. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of it doesn't come out necessarily. And and consider this. In many cases, I do believe it just might be the grace of God that you don't know all right then. It would crush you. It would be overwhelming. But a song comes on the radio six months later and it reminds you of that deal. There's a place that you see and it reminds you. One of your kids say something. Does this make sense? There's just triggers and things played out for a long time. It doesn't mean that you didn't choose to forgive, but you'll just have to choose again for that facet. And now I choose for this facet. It's costly. But it'll never cost you more than it cost God in his son to forgive you. Quickly, let me give you one, one more step, number three, that I hope could help you. Refuse to let all the sin, every relationship, marriage, best friend, church, coworker, next door neighbor. Refuse to let all the sin in your relationship define or defile the whole thing. Every marriage has, has sin and difficulties. Every work relationship has sin and difficulties. Every church filled with a relationship has sins and difficulties. Just don't let it defile and define the whole thing. And here's what I mean by that. Find a place to put it and move on. Now, don't hear me saying sweep it under the rug. I'm talking about... We're just going to choose to focus on it. Some of you just poke it, poke it, poke it, poke it, poke it, stir it up and wonder why your marriage stinks. It's like, yeah, this marriage has got some problems. John Piper gives this illustration. I think it's great. He talks about cow pies and a compost pile. You need a compost pile in your marriage or in your best friend relationship or church where we're just going to take some crap and put it. We looked at it, we addressed it, we asked for forgiveness, but let's not poke it. It starts to stink. Let's put it in the compost pile and let's hold hands and walk through the grassy field and recognize everything's not bad. There are some good things in our relationship. And we're, does, that, does that make sense? My, father had a, my grandfather had a farm in Georgia, Rome, Georgia. And every summer we'd go there for two weeks and do everything we're not allowed to do the rest of the year. That's what grandparents are for. She'd buy us jumbo bags of M&Ms and put them on the dresser in there. We stayed up and watched TV shows we weren't allowed to watch. We stayed up way past our bedtime. And, oh my goodness, we rode mini bikes. Never allowed. And, and I'm 10. And I have twin brothers. He's got a blue one. I got a red one. We're ripping around the farm. But one of the most horrible things, because we're always barefooted, was putting your foot down on a sharp, sharp turn and just dragging it through a cow pie. And that thing just, that, if you don't know, that will sling all up your leg. It'll pretty much, you'll have it in your left ear. It'll be everywhere. And some of you don't realize you keep just running through it and poke, when you forgive you put it in the compost pile and you move on some of you have not yet learned extending the gift of grace to your spouse or friend over and over again and don't don't let it defile and define the whole relationship Don Henley in his final refrain in his song said I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter because the flesh will get weak and the ashes will scatter so I'm thinking about forgiveness some of you have been thinking about forgiveness for a long time and God doesn't just call us to think about it he calls us to do it is there somebody you need to forgive and the whole time I've been speaking this shouldn't be fuzzy you shouldn't have to say ah when there is it's like their face has been in your mind this whole time you, you have been struggling this whole time. You know it. Is there someone you need to forgive? And listen, would God's finger be in your face today and would he be saying to you, you wicked servant. That's what he calls unfri- people who don't forgive and say they're his child. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. How much in, in modern dollars? Should you not also have had mercy, whether it was your dad and what he did, your mom and what he did, your best friend, that church leader, that employer, that it doesn't matter. It pales in comparison to all that God has forgiven you. And so if you don't forgive, he calls you wicked. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to think, is there someone I need to forgive? And stop wrestling with it, thinking about it, putting it in the category of optional and choose to do it not because they deserve it, not because their attitude has changed, not because you've forgotten, not because you all of a sudden have a forgiving feeling, whatever that is, but because of the $9.6 billion debt you forget, because of the orange glow in your life, you say, how could I not? Because of the robe of righteousness I'm wearing as an adopted son or daughter, how could I not? Because of the inheritance that is mine now, of everything that is Christ is mine, how could I not forgive? Oh God, do your work in our hearts and don't let us go another moment grieving the Holy Spirit. Empower us supernaturally to forgive just as you in Christ have forgiven us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.